What is up, you beautiful people? Welcome back to another episode of the Built on Bitcoin podcast, where we're showcasing all the apps and founders that are getting created in the Stacks ecosystem. I'm your host, Jake. You'll see me around as Jake Blockchain. And this week, I got Jamil on the podcast. You've seen Jamil around on Twitter for sure, or you've used something he's created. He is the creator of StacksNFT.com and MIAMining.com. And, uh, yeah, I, he hasn't been in the ecosystem long, only in June, I think. We kind of got into it at about the same time, but he's making waves already, creating some stuff that people need, and I love this conversation. He, the way he thinks and can get to the root of a problem by asking good questions, I think is incredibly important, and, uh... Yeah, I don't want to go too much into it on this brief overview. Let's just hop in the conversation with Jamil of Stacks NFT. Welcome to Built on Bitcoin. What is it about crypto that gets you most excited? That's a great question. I'm fairly new to this space in terms of being involved deeply. You know, my first experience with Bitcoin was back in 2014, you know, a couple of years ago, but I don't think I really saw the opportunities as clearly as I do now. I think a lot of people over the past few years have noticed and become more acutely aware of the problems of the current system. I think both economically and politically, you look at the situation with politics in the US, civil unrest, banking, inflation. And I think a lot of these these problems have common threads, right? Institutions, they're thinking about themselves. And people are realizing that things aren't as fair and as organized as, as politicians or as banks or as institutions play them out to be, right? So crypto for me is, is the democratization of all of this, right? Of decentralizing institutions. Uh, and you see it here too, right? I mean, last last week you just had the interview with Asteria, who's who's pseudonymous, right? And this entire community is basically built off of people who uh, who are coming straight from the straight from the grassroots, not not from institutions, not from big banks, and not from governments. And you see it with Miami Coin too, right? So uh, that that really inspired me. And Miami Coin was was actually how I got into Stacks in the first place. So so yeah. I share a similar sentiment where the more I learn about crypto, the more I don't understand why the old system has existed for so long, at least in the current fashion it does. But then you have to kind of pause and understand like crypto's only what, 12 years old? Like there wasn't a good alternative to move into until we had Bitcoin and blockchain. Exactly. And I think systems generally work in the there are different revolutions, right? There are different systems. And, you know, this is talked about in the sovereign individual too, in the transition from uh, from early agriculture to the industrial revolution to the, the modern era, right? Um, these systems generally work, but they have a, a high inertia to them. And status quo does have a high inertia, right? Eventually you get to a, a point where the old system just doesn't work for the current circumstances, right? And the powers of both the, the free market and, you know, uh, almost like the natural selection of ideas will precipitate large scale changes. So right now you have a, a point where the old institutions are working off that inertia, 
that long-term inertia for what worked in the 20th century and what worked in the 19th century. But you're starting to see the little cracks in the seams now for the first time, right? And alternatives being proposed. And they're not perfect alternatives. There's still a lot of work to do, but it's clear that, that something's got to change, right? And, and things are changing. That's, I've never heard it described like that of inertia or like momentum, but that makes so much sense because there's the, there's the kind of quote that science doesn't move forward when the science advances, it's when the old guard dies. Yeah. And it's, it's frustrating that even something as rooted in trying to seek truth in reality as science is, is still a victim to the same, the same kind of inertia that you're talking about. Yeah, I totally agree. And the inertia can only last so long though, right? And you see it in, in the way the current pessimism is so pervasive in society. Whether you're a liberal or conservative right now, conservatives are, are you know, talking about returning to the past, right? And returning to the, the original ways of doing things, like making America great again. And liberals are also looking, you know, they're not, they're not looking forward. They're saying America doesn't work. America has never worked. Right. And, and the future is hopeless. Right. This this stuff like, you know, we can't do anything. And that sort of fatalism is sort of a, a symptom of that inertia that the old system isn't working. Right. And sure, if you don't have anything better to propose, that's going to be your your clear conclusion. And one thing I love about the crypto community is that there is a sense of optimism it's not fatalistic, right? It's not like the world is awful and it's always going to be awful. It's things aren't working right now, but we have a solution and we're going to build towards it. And that's what's missing from a lot of a lot of society right now, right? You had it uh, with the with things like the the space race or the initial days of Silicon Valley, right? The days of of early Steve Jobs, of Hewlett Packard, of of Microsoft. You had that that vision and that clear goal that you simply don't have right now with the old system. Technology companies right now, the institutional ones don't have a vision. What's Google's vision? What's Facebook's vision? They're, they're struggling so hard to find one because the current institutions simply don't work in, in, in this century. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious, you mentioned, you mentioned the sovereign individual, which is on my reading list. Uh, do you have any other books that particularly stand out in your head or have really influenced your, your thinking and your worldview? Yeah, there's, there's a few that, that I really enjoyed. My, my sort of uh, North Star book is, it, it's not really a philosophical one, but it's a, a Selfish Gene by Dawkins. Okay. I, I don't know why it resonates with me so much. I think it's the basis of it is, is very biological. It's very, um, it talks a lot about... Um, you know, evolution and Darwinian ideas. But the, the part that really stands out is, is the toward the end of the book where he talks about how, um, let me frame it this way, right? There are very few places in the world in which you see exponential growth, right? Uh, the first place you really see it in the history of the earth is in biological evolution. You have the Cambrian explosion. You have this increase in radical increase in complexity. Uh, and the second place you see it is in human civilization. And over the past 10 to 20,000 years, you've seen almost like a fractal exponential growth in complexity of human civilization. And why are those two the only places where you've really seen this exponential growth of complexity? 
And we know the case biologically is from natural selection of genes, right? This, this forces complexity and forces competition. Uh, but the, the reason that you see the exponential growth, the TLDR of it is you see a natural selection of ideas, right? You have competition in the space of the, the, the best ideas essentially win instead of the best genes win. And I think that framing of that problem has made me so, it, it's framed a lot of the way I think about things, right? Because you're no longer thinking about um, you know, purely biological things, or you're not thinking about how do I make my idea work or how do I, you know, it's, it's, it's just that a, a good exchange of ideas and a good refinement of ideas will result in that emergence of complexity and advancement of technology. Interesting. Mm-hmm. You, you have a wealth of knowledge. What, what is your professional background? Yeah. So I, don't want to go into too much detail yet about my okay. personal identity. I'm a grad student and I've worked full-time in the technology industry for about four years. So I'm a software engineer by background uh, and you know, software and computer engineer. But I also have a, have a background in, um, in the social, social sciences as well. I was passionate about that for a long time. But I do consider myself first and foremost uh, an engineer. And what, what, is your, what is your subdomain that you specialize in for uh, programming? I focus mainly on machine learning and AI, so uh, deep neural networks and uh, uh, yeah, along those lines. Interesting. Does your social sciences learning influence, I'm trying to think how to word this, because I could see a connection between like networks and machine learning and how humans connect does, do those things bridge at some point that they inform one another? Yeah, actually, a lot of the things I'm interested in are outside of my, my professional work is generally around the field of artificial life and intelligence in that way. Um, you, you know, there, there's a lot of work in how to bridge the ML community with understandings of things like consciousness and agency. Right. And I think that's that's a field that I'm interested in and would love to learn more about. And it's part of the reason that I was motivated to go back to school after working for for a little while. Hmm. You're, you're exploding my brain right now. I'm trying to think of where to take this next. Um, I guess we'll just get back on the, sure. the, ul- the ultimate target of cri- yeah. of crypto before we go down a crazy rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, what what is the initial thing? So you started looking to, into crypto. Mm-hmm. How did you and how did you eventually find stacks? That's a great question too. It's the the initial seed was I knew someone who is reasonably involved in the community. He's pseudonymous as well. I don't want to call him out individually, but if you're listening to this, you know who you are. Hmm. Um, but that was sort of the introduction. And then I, I had been looking into Miami coin. This was just when mining initially started. And it was mainly a curiosity thing. Like, hey, uh, I want to start looking into this mining Miami coin, but there are no tools to really inform me who's won each block, how much has been committed to each block, what are my chances of winning a block? And so just very simple, practical questions rather than, you know, a vision or like something extremely profound. Uh, And I think 
what it made me realize is that there are a lot of unmet needs in this ecosystem, both on a technical level and on a customer one. Like the people in the community feel that their needs aren't met yet. And I definitely saw that in Miami coin. And it was pretty, it was pretty amazing how quickly you can work in this space too. You can spin up something very quickly that can provide value to a lot of people. And that was really appealing about this space. You know, um, you spin up that site like the, the Miami coin mining site and you know, less than a week, and suddenly it's used by thousands of people a day, right? And this is what brought me into the NFT space as well, because clearly as, as someone who is using Stacks for whatever you're using it for, um, there are so many things you want to do, right? And you just don't have the ability to do them yet, right? We're seeing this ecosystem evolve so rapidly, but one of them was there was no place to see all your NFTs in one place. It's a very simple thing, right? And when you don't have that ability to visually see all your NFTs in one place, the very concept of ownership sort of feels very fragile, right? It's like, if I can only see my Staxart NFTs on Staxart, and I can only see my uh, Residio NFTs on Residio's website, do I really own these things? Maybe I can see them in the Stax Explorer with a little count beside them, but I don't really have a way to share or see all my NFTs in one place. And that was a, the sort of unmet need that I saw. And uh, clearly it, it doesn't take long to build that out, right? So that's, that's really how I dove into this ecosystem. It's, it's just identifying the opportunities that, that are there and you know, trying to provide value to people. When I first went to stacksnft.com, and I typed in, first I typed in my own address because like, okay, was, what, does it work? Yeah. And then I typed in someone else's address and I was like, at first I felt like I was like spying. It, it, almost, <laughs> felt, it almost felt dirty, yeah. even though the blockchain is open. Like we know that it's all, everything is out there on the ledger. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was, it was so surreal to like, it was at, at first before you had the marketplace, the site was incredibly basic, but it didn't have to be anything more than that. It had a box. You type in your address and you could see whatever that wallet held in NFTs. And I think the powerful thing that you're speaking to is that most of us feel this. We know that there's a bunch of primitives and things that are, are missing, but we can't, it's almost like we can't quite put it to words because we're so, it's like we're drowning and there's so much newness. Yeah. That I'm, I don't know what I don't know I need. And you, right. Yeah. And, you, and you have, and you have the awareness to like, ask yourself the right question and then build out the actual thing. And you can do it incredibly quickly, which is crazy to see. And I think you can also take inspiration from other platforms too, right? For example, dozens of wallets on Ethereum put all your NFTs in one place, right? And they have strong standards in a well-developed ecosystem. And I think it's pretty clear some of the potential next steps. And people are asking for it every day, right? Two examples. We already know that, that bidding and offers are something that people want in the NFT space immediately. And you talked about it in your previous interview with Asteria too. Everybody knows that's needed. It's just a matter of building it, right? Residio does it, but it's on-chain and slow, and they, they only support a small subset of the NFTs out there. So it's not really the ideal solution. And the second one is that there's also creation. You know, the, the creation experience on Stacks isn't great right now. You can do it on Boom Wallet, but you don't really have a way for artists to simply make collections and deploy their own contract and say, hey, I want this to be the minting price and I want this to be the release date. 
And right now they have to go through me or one of the, the connections in, in the other platforms to go through it. And that's simply not sustainable. You know, I want to automate that part of my job away because it's frustrating for the artists too. They shouldn't have to talk to me, right? They, they have to deal with delays in responses, uncertain timelines, and, and a lot more. So there's this huge unmet needs on both the, the customer side and on the, on the artist side. So currently at Stacks NFT, you have the ability that you can peek into a wallet and see what someone holds. Yeah. And you, you now have the marketplace that's starting to get built out. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the current functionality of the marketplace? And then what are you building, say, in the next three to six months? So the current functionality of the marketplace is essentially it's the, the only place right now where you can trade any SIP9 conformant NFT. Right. So it's it's basically the same situation as what, say, Stacksart has, where you set a price and someone else can buy it. The difference with us is that you can do that with any NFT. Right. Because, you know, what, what I realized is that the same advantages that allowed us to to show every NFT cross platform also allow us to create a great cross NFT experience on a marketplace. So I think that's that's the real advantage here is that people don't want to go to five different websites where you know they originally minted the NFT to have to trade it, right? They they want to go to one place. You don't want to have to think. It's just like when you want to watch an interesting video, you just automatically type in youtube.com, right? Or you know, you don't you don't really have to think about these things. And and right now there's so much friction around the experience that I think streamlining that was was the immediate goal for the Stacks NFT marketplace. But we're not there yet, right? There's still so many both experience and technical challenges to overcome. That makes sense. When I spoke to Asteria, we talked a little bit about being kind of at the bleeding edge of a new language and yeah. how it's and how it's so it's there's a community around it. So everyone is in this together. You guys are in the trenches learning and failing as a unit but you're also like, you, you can't quite see past your toes in some sense. Like you, you guys are coders and you know kind of how computers work, but then trying to make clarity do what you need to is a different beast. H- how has it been for you? Cause it sounds like you just started only a few months ago with, with this particular language. How has it been trying to, to learn that? I've always been a fan of, of Lisp. So from the, from the language and the syntax perspective, it hasn't been so bad. I don't think that's the main thing. Like thinking functionally and thinking in terms of uh, the Lisp syntax has been okay. The, the thing that's different is programming on the blockchain, whether it's solidity or clarity, it's just a fundamentally different pattern. When you code in Python on your, on your, yeah, and it's running on your CPU, there are certain things that you're just used to be able to, used to, be able to do that are you know, computationally inexpensive or that, you know, are totally okay to do that are not when you're programming in a language like Solidity or on Clarity. Uh, so I think it's a, it's a different pattern of computation that takes a while to get used to. And I'm not fully there yet, right? I'm still learning. Um, but that being said, the contracts that we've done so far are extremely simple. I know Stacksart, for example, in a lot of their contracts, you know, they do some, some list mutations and stuff that are super expensive and putting a lot of load on the network. Um, but for our NFT contracts, we're just doing it super, super basic and super simple. I don't want to over-engineer things and put unnecessary load on the network or do things in a way that isn't conducive to the network. 
And I'm still uh, in that learning process right now, right? I, I know we're not there yet, and I know there's a lot of improvements to be made, but um, but so far the community, the Discord, GitHub, it's all been been super supportive, and I've learned a lot. Yeah. I have aspirations to learn clarity myself where if you were trying to point me in the right direction or someone that wants to go down that path from, you know, they're getting off clarity and they want to start learning a Lisp like language, like clarity, and they have no experience where, where would you point? I'm probably the wrong person to, to ask for details on this. Okay. I think if, if you were to get used to the, the syntax, right. And you, you, completely abstract away all the blockchain stuff, right? There are languages like Racket uh, or, or Scheme that are that are great for learning the syntax. And that, that can actually be nice if you're coming from a language like Python or C++ or Java, just to get used to the functional patterns. Of course, there are some things that don't apply in, in Clarity, like there's no recursion, but th th that's just for the syntax, which is really the basic stuff. That's like that's like the, you know, really just the, the sugar. Um, for, for blockchain development, there are some great resources out there that teach the fundamentals of, of computation on blockchain. One of them that's really, I feel, underrated is Stanford has all of the resources for their blockchain course, CS251, available online at cs251.stanford.edu. Mm. And that's just, a they have all this lecture slides, they have all the assignments, they're in both the, the raw Bitcoin script language and Solidity. So you really get a a sense of the fundamentals of blockchain development and what the right patterns are. And as I said, I'm still going through that process of learning, but, um, but those are uh, great resources. That's good. I'll, I'll definitely check that out. Cause when I was initially doing some, like what to learn next, uh, people kept pointing out the Harvard CS 50 class. Mm -hmm. Cause I, you know, I have zero coding experience. Like I'm, I'm a filmmaker by trade. So like, it's, it. a, it's a whole different, it's a whole different domain. And uh, yeah, that, that class is, if you, if you have zero experience, the CS50 class by Harvard is amazing for learning the, the basic basics. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to check out that Stanford class for sure. The Stanford classes is, is, I think mainly targeted at people who have experience in software engineering and programming, but not in blockchain development. Right, and that's sort of where I'm coming from. I have a lot of experience uh, in software engineering and computer engineering, but but not a lot of experience in blockchain development. So that's been a great resource for me. Got it. Okay. Um, well, I don't have any more broad or specific questions. Uh, I guess just to close it out, do you have any closing thoughts or anything that you want to talk about? No, I guess I just wanted to say that uh, you know. Over the past, it's only been like two or three months that I've been in this community, and it's been been incredible to see the level of support and engagement and you know enthusiasm, excitement, and optimism that I've seen from from everybody, from people like you, uh, all of the people on Twitter that I'm seeing, and it's it's been uh, it's been an amazing few months and a, and a great welcome to the community. So uh, I'm super excited to keep building and uh, keep developing with you guys, and. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to the future. Uh, going back to our earlier conversation, I'm so optimistic about the future and about Stacks, and I can't wait for the for the next year and what's to come. 
I think that is a beautiful way to end this podcast. I, I could not agree more. I find myself sometimes out in the real world, like at the gym or something. And I'm like, just thinking about hopping back on Twitter or like talking about some, yeah. something, something with crypto with someone who's like of a like mind, because when I'm out and about in the real world, uh, it's hard to find someone who has that level of uh, optimism at that moment or understands yeah. what is coming down the pipeline. So exactly. I, I totally agree. All right. Thanks so much, Jake. Really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you for what you're building, man. You're doing great work. Welcome to Built on Bitcoin. I know that things don't always go your way, but I'll be right here waiting. I've been waiting now. I've been trying to figure out a way to make